0: Hi, and welcome back to Spike Tape, the podcast about theater and theater education with the people who know it best. I'm your host, Anna Bersowski. Again, if you want to learn more about our podcast and its origins, please check out our preseason introduction episode or visit us at spiketape.net. With our second episode, I had the pleasure of sitting down with Joanne Bortz, currently starring in Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish at Stage 42. She's been on Broadway before in both Fiddler on the Roof and the original Broadway cast of Once. We got to talking about her journey to Yiddish theater, as well as what it's like to do a show in a language that almost nobody speaks. But I'll let you listen for yourself. So sit back, relax, and enjoy Spike Tape. Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you so much for for inviting me. Thanks for coming in early on your two-show day. Thanks. Um, Okay, so I have to ask at the beginning, as a kid, as a student, Was theater something you knew you were gonna go into?
1: I always knew that this is where I was headed. I was in shows when I was a little kid. I did, I I won a, a, a beauty contest because I was twirling when I was three years old. So I think I was always pushing myself onto some kind of a stage. So, you know, there was always the performing aspect of my life. I started taking dance when I was four years old. My teacher was an incredibly inspiring woman who uh, saw in me what I could become. She saw my potential. She had a huge theater background and not just a ballet background, but she was a very strict straight ahead ballet teacher and she taught us discipline and she taught us Um, how to learn and how to be students and how to create from a a student's perspective. Because you can be creative, but if you have the tools and the technique, you can really move forward. So I took ballet and tap. And when we were older, we got to take jazz and point. By the time I finished high school and I was going to dance class five days a week and and doing all these things, my... um, my uh, performance at our last couple of, of recitals were me singing and dancing and tapping and right. doing my thing. So she she saw in me and followed my career for many, many years. And I still owe her a lot and give her kind of all the credit.
0: So she is one of the largest reasons why you chose to pursue a career in theater?
1: Well, I would say she saw me and facilitated what my my desires were. My parents did not force me into dance class. They, I I asked for it. And when you ask for something at four years old, you're pretty solid about who it is you want to be. So I don't remember ever thinking there was a time I, I wanted to do something else.
0: What did you study at? At, at Binghamton.
1: Binghamton. Yeah. I was a theater music major. Okay and uh, And it wound up sort of pushing into a dance concentration and a dance composition concentration um, because I had another inspiring teacher, Mary Crusaro, also saw in me what I could do, and uh, honestly, I was not the greatest dancer i wasn't the ballerina uh, like I was never a prima ballerina, right. but i had I had the technique and the drive to be a a very good dancer yeah. so but as much of that is I was singing I mean I was always a singer my father may he rest in peace was a barbershop singer my grandfather on my mother's side was a cantor and there was always music in our home so I was a singer who danced a dancer who sang yeah. and I never no one ever told me I had to choose
0: so I don't know if you remember when you're four but Um, Can you tell me the first thing you saw that made you know you wanted to have a career in the theater?
1: Um, Mary Poppins and Sound of Music. Really.
0: Interesting. Really
1: seriously. I learned every word. I sang along. I knew that this was something I was going to pursue. And then I went to my first Broadway show, which was Pippin and that was amazing and we went with school and i sat in the last row of the imperial theatre but it blew my mind she they were all it was an amazing story it was all just a little bit um uh, provocative, too. I mean, it's not necessarily the greatest story yeah. for a little kid to go see, but I, it blew my mind.
0: Okay, so I'm going to switch gears and talk about your involvement in Yiddish theater. Okay. Because it's so, it's such a unique thing. Like, I w- it would never occur to me to to have that be such a large part of my life. So, why do you do theater in Yiddish?
1: Okay. Once again, everything sort of harkens back to your teachers and your leaders and people who are setting the table for you to, like, pick up the silverware and start to eat. So my parents sent me to Yiddish schools and... uh, my grandfather worked for the Forvitz, which was the Yiddish newspaper, so there was always Yiddish in our home, and my mother pursued the idea of a Yiddish school as opposed to going to uh, the local synagogue. It was not part of their upbringing. Um, my teacher, Michal Baron, he, uh, in the in elementary Shula uh, and an amazing Yiddish teacher, so between uh, Haver Michal, who was amazing, Michel Baron. Uh, I, I got, I don't know. Someone convinced me to go to the, the high school level. When I graduated from Shola, at, at, by the time I finished Shola, I had lost all of my grandparents, and it was, it was kind of a tough battle because once I lost them I lost the direct contact to Yiddish my mother and my grandmother spoke Yiddish to each other my grandfather also that was their language and I don't know whether it was my sadness about that but I was really becoming resistant to Yiddish and then my mother said well just do it for your grandmother instead of being uh, sort of overwhelmed by it by the loss she said you know pick up the pick up the banner and move forward with it. Yeah. So it, it was the first time anyone said you have a responsibility here so as opposed to letting your emotions crush you, it was now take this on. right? And, and you're strong enough to do it, which is part of that. So I, I finished Shullah with uh, Havermechel. I went to the high school level which was downtown, downtown meeting in the city. Yeah. And Going to Middle Shul was also connecting in my brain to freedom, right? No one ever sent me on my way by myself with a friend and, you know, hooking up with people and going there and totally safe. Yeah. But it was it, everything connected to freedom and, and getting out of Long Island and going into the city. And who was my music teacher in Middle Zalman Molotek. He's the musical director and the conductor of Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish. Wow. We see where this, it's like, it's all about your teachers. And so Zalman would take us to um, this activist uh, uh, convention, and we performed at the Statler Hilton, we performed at the Waldorf, and we performed... um, at, at Avery Fisher Hall. And he was like, oh, Joanne, you're going to sing this song with Ben Bonus and Minna Byrne, who are stars of the Yiddish theater. I'm a little kid. He's like, you're going to come and do a radio show with Claire Barry of the Barry Sisters. Okay. Yeah. Oh, okay. So through those that experience and teachers who recognize your ability, recognize your talent and your drive, I, I had a chance to go to these places, meet these people, have these experiences, and they're all positive. Yiddish was never, oh, you have to learn this because, you know, otherwise God will strike you down. Yeah. It was like, wow, look at all of these windows and doors that open because you have this cool language. Yeah, I was now out of college, I think that Zalman kept doing the, uh, the um, third Seder at the Workman's Circle for a very long time. And even when I was in high school and college, he called me back and I performed as a professional and that was pretty great. Um, graduated college and he said, I've got this project, The Golden Land, and I need you to uh, please be part of it. We're going to a couple of gigs. One is going to be in Atlanta and one is here and there and then we're gonna do it in Brooklyn. And it was a four person review and the two, peop- two of the people who were in it were not available, so I became the person who kind of replaced. Definitely replaced, not kind of replaced. And in that, I, I got a chance to go to Atlanta. He-, he took the group to Atlanta and that was the first time I ever heard someone in a southern accent speak Yiddish. And it was sort of mind-blowing to think Yiddish is not exclusively a New York, Poland thing. Like It it sort of spreads around like that. And that led to other things. And so while I was doing that, at the same time, I was doing Give Me Gershwin and Kiss Me Kate and getting my equity card and pursuing a straight-ahead theater uh, um, career. Yeah. And also, this kind of was on the side. Right. And then when Golden Land started to bubble and move forward, they again called me to be part of it, and I did a, uh, an off-Broadway run with it, and then we toured around with it a little bit, and then we did it again at the Second Avenue Theater, and it ran for quite a while. And again, you get all of this theater now passion for theater passion for Yiddish and it gets to all be in the same soup and it doesn't always get to do that but at this point it really had a had a chance to to grow and through it I met uh, the choreographer Donald Sadler and I um, was his assistant choreographer that was amazing and he was George Abbott's choreographer so you know it's all about who you're your mentors and your teachers are. And in the midst of all of this, if you rewind a little bit, I had decided to graduate Binghamton early because I was ready to go to New York, but yeah. I wasn't gonna go without my sheepskin. So I, I took summer school and took extra classes and I overloaded and, and I just was ready to go. Uh, that's why I happened to be available at the right time. Yeah. Um, so that was the first time the Yiddish theater thing came together. Um, And then I did On 2nd Avenue, and then I did Those Were the Days. And sort of around the Those those Were the Days time, I also got cast in my first production of Fiddler. And here was this uh, first-class production contract uh, tour of Fiddler that was planning to come to Broadway with Topol in it. And I'd never done Fiddler before in my life. And I decided, okay, this was the one I was going to, I know I'm right for this. And there, it was an interesting uh, experience because when I was submitted by my agent at the time, I, I, could, I didn't get picked up. And I, I spoke to the casting director, must have bumped into her, and I was like, Amy, how could I not get picked up for an audition? And she looks at my resume and she sees my height and she said, you're too tall. Right, he he doesn't want the Topol, doesn't want daughters who are tall. tall. So, she said, "Come to the chorus call." So I, I you know this is this is the larger business aspect of this. So I go to the chorus call, and I dress like a daughter because I figure if I can't be one of the daughters, maybe I can be a daughter. I and I saw, it was my first kind of uh, eyeball into how casting people think and I got typed out. I was like, how do I get typed out of Fiddler on the Roof? But I I looked around and I saw the people who were dressed as young girls, as daughters, they were kept if they were short. And then the women were either significantly older or tall. So I got typed out, went out and was flabbergasted and Gary John LaRosa, God bless him, uh, also a contemporary and a performer, and now he's a choreographer and he does a lot of fiddlers. He saw me after the thing, and I was like, I just got typed out? And he said, you go back in there. Get back in there. T- tell Amy that you just got typed out. So I went back to Amy, and I said, I got typed out? She goes, oh, please, come back. Come back at the end of the day, and we will get you in. But I had done the the math in my head. I went home. I put on a mama outfit. I put on a dress that made me look a little bit more mature. It was like a blue dress with a white collar. I put up my hair and I sang, and I got in the door, I got typed in, and then I sang a song in English and Yiddish that in the lowest part of my register, and I established myself as someone who could manage an older character. Got called back, came back to the final callback, which was at the Edison Theater, which was amazing because then you're on the stage. And I knew from the minute I opened my mouth, I was like, I've I've got this. Like there's a feeling you have. It's like, you just need to do what you need to do. And this is in the bag because you have found the because you're not always right for everything. Yeah. But when you know you're in the right place at the right time and you just need to produce your audition, I produced my audition and got
0: that job. So you said you mentioned your first fiddler, but now you're in fiddler, the Yiddish Roof, fiddler. in Yiddish. Correct. This Broadway. is my third playing.
1: I play Shandel. Okay. I understudy Yenta. And I understudy, sorry, there's music because we're in the house and they're checking the sound. Uh, I understudy Yenta and Golda and Fruma Sarah and Baba Zaito and Grandma Zaito. Wow. I I understudy all of the adult women. And I've had a chance through all of these fiddlers. I've worked with Topol twice, Theodore Bikel many times, but twice doing fiddler. Harvey Firestein did our tour, my last tour, um, and I saw Zira Mastel at Westbury Music Fair doing one of the tours of Yiddish. Yeah. So, and Steven Skybell, and an Zuka. amazing, an amazing, amazing Tavia.
0: So, are you one of th- three people in the cast who are fluent in Yiddish? I,
1: I am one of a handful of people who has a, l- a Yiddish long, large back, long. Background.
0: What is it like to do a show in a language that almost nobody speaks?
1: Well, what actually is amazing is that the people who don't necessarily speak have some kind of background. You'd be surprised how many people... First of all, yes, there's a lot of Yiddish in, in English because we live in New York. So right. this is a show happening in New York. In addition, I... I I think that a lot of people's generations back spoke Yiddish, and they heard some Yiddish in the house, even if it was grandmothers and grandfathers who were, you know, speaking Yiddish so the the kinder wouldn't understand it, right? Nishtva the kinder, who would teach, would speak a language, but it was sort of there. And in fact, a lot of people felt um, rejected by the language because it was used as a secret and it was used as a, a secret language and it had like a negative context attached to it, but it, it never felt inclusive. So what happens here is you're doing, in the same way you would do opera, the show is happening, The translations are on either side of the stage. You read the translations. They're in English at top and Russian at the bottom because we also have a large Russian-speaking crowd. And so the minute you walk in the door, you are included. It is inclusive. So even though the audience doesn't necessarily think they know, it's amazing how much they sort of know in their DNA. And they're included and they can follow the story easily. Quite frankly, Yiddish takes in a lot of uh, uh, middle German in the same way German takes in a lot of middle English, yeah, I should have said middle English. It takes in middle English, which is much of it derived from middle german
0: yeah
1: and and even words that you think you don't know, they're cognitive with English words or at least close, and you you can get. You can get a lot of the aspects without necessarily speaking the language. And people are allowing the story and the language to wash over them in a way that is completely positive.
0: Hey, Anna here. Just a quick interruption to tell you that at this point in our conversation, soundcheck got a little too loud for my mic to handle. So we moved into the lobby, which is why the background noise changes. Okay, back to Joanne. Amazing. Okay, so you mentioned before we started recording that being a part of an, and being an activist for act, the Actors' Equity Association is a big passion of yours. Um, so I want to talk about it for a second. You, you do a lot of work with them and as, an act, and as an activist for fellow actors. What is so compelling and so important about Actors' Equity and your work with them?
1: Okay, so let's go back to Camp Hemshack and living a democratic socialist life Mm -hmm. and learning about other countries politics and uh, understanding uh, that fairness is more important than financial success and there's nothing wrong with financial success but it it is not what's going to take you to a place that makes you a socially conscious person and when you When your teachers present social consciousness to you and walk that walk, and you see their success and their happiness and their positive relationship with it, you you can sort of follow along as the student and say, "Well, why wouldn't I live this life? Look at how great it is." It's the same thing with Yiddish, right? If Yiddish is awesome and inspiring and sexy, why wouldn't I want to do that too? So I, I, I was given great leadership as a young person, and I followed the path. And then when the door opened for me to become active, I walked through it. I had a, a mentor and a leader that said, come here, you'd be good at this. And, there, and those people came along a lot. You just have to listen to them. They're in everyone's lives that the teacher says, come here, you just... just turn a little to the right and you'll find this door and you'll and you'll know what to do when you get to it so someone said come to a deputy deputy meeting so in equity in every company we have a deputy we don't have stewards but the deputy is the person who is elected by the company to be the conduit to the union in case there's any difficulty with that and So I would be the deputy once in a while, and then someone said, well, come to a deputy committee meeting, and then I was there, and and as I was going to meetings, people could see, and I will say, Gina Belkin, may she rest in peace, was one of the people I was connected with. Uh, prior to my, I was already a member of Equity, but prior to my real commitment to activism, and when I finally kind of walked in the door, Gina Belkin, who came from a Yiddish background, also came from that world, had been on council for a very long time, had been a member of Chorus Equity before Chorus Equity and Actors' Equity merged, and she saw me recognized me took me under her wing and showed me the ropes explained to me that my responsibility was not just as the as a, a, a representative but my responsibility was also to find other people right. she said now at, at some point later on she said now that you're here you need to find other people and and to trust other people, that there are people like you who see the world really, really clearly, and why Why should I prevent you from being active? The point is I want to open my arms and let you in the door, help you, guide you to that door, because I'm not going to be around forever. And that's the, the bigger picture, is that with a union that's over 100 years old, you? you have a responsibility to take on the information, give the information to somebody else, and let that person also interpret for themselves because nobody stopped me from my own thinking. I had a perspective. I had, uh, at, at some point, Patrick Quinn, may he rest in peace, another inspiration to me. He was vice president uh, of the union when I kind of got there and then uh, became president. And... Mm-hmm. At one point, we were at a meeting and I was running for council. It was my first thing someone said, you're going to run. And I was like, yes, I I guess I am going to run. And I decided to run for a chorus counselor instead of a principal counselor for a bunch of reasons. But the chorus thing felt really, really socialist. It felt like I don't have a problem with representing someone who has fewer bells and whistles around them that is perceived often as the person with less. Right. And I was like, I don't, I don't have a problem with doing that. I understand what that feels like. Adrienne Cooper, may she rest in peace, did the same thing for me. Yeah. She brought me to, to Circle Lodge and to uh, Kindering one summer and said, you are going to teach a class about Yiddish heroes and heroines. Helden. I was like, I'm going to teach this class said, and you're going to do it really well let's, and she sat with me and said let's talk about who your mentors are your heroes, your help and I was like, oh yeah I know how to do this, yeah. I didn't know I knew how to do it until I had a teacher who sort of you know, moved the dust away from my eyes and said you, you have this, this is in your eyes and in your soul and in your heart so that, that is how I ended up involved and Uh, now this is my 20th year and uh, it's very exciting, I've been involved with five production contract negotiations I am part of this community and, uh, and I feel like it is as much of my responsibility to give back to the community because the community gave to me and I earned my jobs and I earned my position where I am but nobody does this by themselves and We're in this show and, you know, I can be a star and I can be fantastic, but I've got a fantastic contract that protects me, protects my health and safety, makes sure I get paid. I get a pension out of this. I get health care out of this. My union has been an amazingly safe and secure place for me to go forward. Why wouldn't I give back
0: to it? Yeah. Well, I'm going to end it there because that was amazing. Um, Thank you so much for joining me. Thank you. I really appreciate it. Thank you for giving me the time. Thank you. I'm really
1: grateful that you came to talk to me. I'm
0: so happy. Thanks for having me. Thank you. And that finishes up our second episode of Spike Tape. Thank you so much for listening. Our episode today was produced and edited by me, with enormous help from Beth Tritter and Jeremy Bersowski, and music by Lila Fritz. A huge thanks to Joanne Bortz for sitting down with me on a two-show Wednesday. You can find her at her website, joannebortz.com, as well as on Twitter and Instagram at Lush and Hora. Go run to see her in Fiddler on the Roof in Yiddish. The show is really, truly incredible. If you liked this episode and are enjoying Spike Tape, please subscribe and share with all your friends and let us know what you think on Instagram at spike.tape or on our website where you can find the rest of our episodes, spiketape.net. Once again, I'm Anna Brasovsky. Until next time, with more from Spike Tape.